I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers who have been working in the field for over 25 years. Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge, our challenges, our foibles, our stories, and our ideas to help you create the most unique landscape for you and your family. And also, let me mention that if you have any questions or comments or topics that you'd like us to cover, you can go to diggingdeep.blueberry.net. And Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. They've taken the E's out of Blueberry. And um, so again, it's Blueberry, uh, diggingdeep.blueberry.net. And leave us a comment or something that you want to know about, and we'd be happy to discuss it. This gives us more to talk about, as though we always have a problem I know, talking. we yeah. just never stop. And what we last week, what we were covering was planning, and of course we went in, into every different direction of what you could put. But um, From a tiny house. From a tiny house to um, containers and, and all sorts of things. So um, just to recap, it's, it's that time of year where you want to plan before you actually do anything. And um, we went over different things that you could do. But, yes. Um, um, I want to talk about the basics of planting um, what plants where and how to group them and so on and so forth. And um, we're going to be just today working off a sheet. We're in Northern California, and a lot of the plants that we're going to be talking about, they are available throughout the nation, but there are some that do better than others. For instance, when the category at the bottom is succulents, and there are cactus and succulents that do grow um, and go through the snow, you know, obviously in Arizona and whatnot. But um, for the most part, um, some of these plants may be completely dormant where you're at, where they're not where we are, but um, we're going to try to cover everything. That sounds good. I think also it's very important that people think about in terms of um, doing a little bit of a sun chart so that they know what areas they're going to get sun, what areas are going to get shade, where north is, where south is, where east and west. I mean, a very basic, the sun rises to the east, that sets in the west. You know, sometimes that doesn't even work. I had a friend tell me years ago, she and her buddies, they went over to San Francisco and they camped and they wanted to get up and watch the sunrise. That's very far west. Exactly. (laughs) The sun doesn't rise in the west. Well, and again, I will say just really quickly a little story that people will enjoy. You know, both Roberta and I have done a lot of radio. And I remember every so often I'd go on a radio show and then people call in questions. And the one that really I I love because I always get the same thing. Someone calls up and they basically, here's a problem. My favorite plant is a hydrangea. I've planted my hydrangea. And um, after about a month, it looks like a crispy critter and it's dying. What am I doing wrong? And so you play detective. And this is important because... Um, the first question you say is, well, how much sun does it get? And of course they qualify. Oh, it doesn't get a lot of sun at all. It gets very little sun. I mean, almost no sun. And they keep going on and on and you go, okay, I understand that. But tell me, at what time of the day does it get this very little sun? Oh, in the late afternoon. So you realize that what they're talking about is they've planted their hydrangeas on the western side of the house where you're getting... Um, 105 degree temperature late in the day. long afternoon. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. so what I try to explain to people is, that's right, it doesn't get a lot of sun. Maybe it's in an area where it only gets a half an hour to an hour or 15 minutes. But imagine taking a hydrangea and putting it with a a spyglass, you know, under the sun. And basically you can start a fire there. Well, in 
three minutes, you would turn it into a crispy critter. So what you basically have to explain to the people is you need to understand where you're planting these things. And shade things don't like afternoon sun. Sun things don't like more. Well, they'll grow in morning sun, but they get leggy and they don't do as well. So by doing a sun chart or at least even if you don't want to do a cursory drawing, by at least going around your house and seeing where the sun is at different times of the day will help you in terms of picking out these plants. And so the easy way to do this is to sketch out your yard. You know, just just where your fence lines yep. are, where your house is, and then just notice, you know, when the sun comes up. And, and obviously when we go through the seasons, the sun, you know, towards the fall is going to go more southwest right. instead of due right. west. And then um, the main, I would say... The main family member, when you're adding a plant, the main one is going to be trees. Yes. Because you're going to plant trees and they're going to be with you. They're going to be far past you in your lifetime. Yes. And so it's really important where you put the tree and why you're putting the tree and what kind of tree you're putting and whether you want shade or do you want a smaller tree tree just for screening um, if you want fall color but you got to make sure what variety you're choosing because there are some trees for shade that will literally um, bring up your concrete your foundation to your house so you really got to know right and so you also have to find out about the root root systems of them so for example a weeping willow beautiful tree everyone it, it, it elicits this it's roto rooters favorite tree exactly so we think about Gone with the Wind with that beautiful weeping willow. And yes, they're very picturesque, but they have a very, yes. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm seeing the background of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> I love that. But they have a very invasive root system that will literally go towards water lines. And they'll get in system. pipes, yeah. Yes. In fact, there's a story about someone had a, had a weeping willow too close to their house and the roots were coming out of their toilet. Oh, God. Yes. So you want a poplar, cottonwood, weeping willow. You would never no. plant those close to a house or near any sort of water system. Right. And again, if there you know, are trees that you like, there are so many guides in your own city of preferred trees. You know, our electric company and... Um, uh, and PG&E, we have different electric companies and, and PG&E and other ones, SMUD. But they all have guides on the type of trees that are good for the landscape. Because remember, they have high voltage yes. lines. Yes. And if you plant a tree under that, they're going to come by and they'll just top that tree. They'll top redwoods. They'll just make them into huge shrubs, which is horrible. The other thing that you have to consider is... Everything is changing. Um, so in, in communities that are now very, very cognizant of fire restriction, yeah. um, some of the new communities are basically saying you cannot plant. In fact, I'm doing a job in Sutter Creek. It's an area in Northern California where they're basically telling them that you cannot plant anything that's over 18 to 24 inches. Um, it has to be at least a minimum of five feet away from the house, anything other than a perennial. And then trees, you have to start at six to eight to 10 feet away. And for large um, evergreen trees, they have to be 30 feet away. So you need to find out what community. And, and if you say, well, who's dictating this? A lot of it is also has to do with like fire insurance. The fire insurance companies will not insure your house right. if the trees are too close to the house. That's right. So when you're considering it, you know, an area or something that you want to plant in your yard, I first think about the trees. I think about, um, well, what I think about is 
mitigating the heat on your house if, if that's a problem and also screening because you might have a neighbor that has a you know one of those lights that go emotion lights and you're sound asleep and all of a sudden your bedroom gets illuminated right, when, when right. one of the cats <laughs> jumps off. So so trees are important, but trees are also, you know, not only do they come in every different size, but some are evergreen and some are not. And the ones um, that are not are called deciduous. And normally it's the deciduous trees that have the beautiful fall color. Absolutely. And the evergreen trees, again, they're all different types. You can see shrub, they call them large shrubs, small trees. Um, things like, well, if you look it up, it's called Photinia, other things at uh, Black Stem Pittosporum. There are different evergreen large shrubs that they're now making and training into trees. Yeah, pineapple guava is another one. I love that tree. It's wonderful. That. Yeah, and it blooms and the blue and the petals are edible. So um, so anyway, trees are very important. And I usually start with, the, uh, you know, like you've been living in your house for who knows how long. And there's this one area that just really bothers you. So um, that's what we're talking about. You start with the planning and then you start with whatever's big, what you need to take care of as a problem first. You might want to create um, a little what we call room in the garden. Yes. And it's not something you build with a structure, but you do build it with um, shrubbery. And shrubbery. Plant, right. Remember um, in uh, Monty Python, shrubbery. Do you have a, do you have a shrubbery? <laughs> anyway, so shrubbery is very important because um, shrubbery, meaning um, a plant that's dense and stays evergreen, can close off an area to make a room. Yes. And what's interesting is, again, I mean, these are basics that we'll talk to you about is when you design with a single tree, it can be, well, it can be as, as Roberta said, shade, but it could also be the dramatic, the, the accent tree. Oh yeah. It could bloom. Our magnolias are blooming right now. The, the, the flowering magnolias. Are spectacular, the Mm -hmm. deciduous magnolias. So a single tree can be this focal point. Mm -hmm. A grove of trees becomes almost like a mini forest. And when you're trying to do a grove effect, you would do odd numbers, three, five, seven. Unless you're trying to make, um, you know, a walkway with a canopy. Right. And then that would be more of a living wall. Mm -hmm. Um, So everything, and then I have a propensity. I I absolutely, there's something about multi-stem. Things that have, instead of a single trunk, have several trunks, to me, are the more dramatic thing, like a, like a fruitless olive. Well, a fruitless olive, crepe myrtles, um, there's so many, but the thing Strawberry is... Strawberry tree. Uh, yeah. You have to have um, room for it. Yes. So again, that's planning. And multi-stem are beautiful, especially up late at night. Yes. It's really lovely, but um, you have to consider whether you have room for everything in that. That comes down to measuring your space that you want to deal with because a lot of people, so many of my clients bought plants that they thought would look small because they bought them small. Look at it. It looks great right, in the container. Right. It's a one gallon, right? But it gets 30 feet. You know, right. Photinia um, yeah. can get 30 feet, Elocarpus, some of these others. So really doing a little bit of research and also measuring the space that you're working on um, is going to help you. And you're li- nowadays we're kind of lucky. used to be you'd always have to refer to a book. But with the internet, Mm -hmm. you can take your phone and you can actually, as you go to the nursery, some of the nurseries actually will tell you the height and the spans, but others will just have a name and you can actually go on the internet and before you buy it, you can see it'll grow this tall, it'll be this wide, it'll be um, um, so that you're not buying something as Roberta said, like a pig in a poke, and all of a sudden it's humongous and you've planted it in the wrong place. Right. Now, I've made a chart um, 
it's here in California, again, we have a problem with water. And so it's uh, mainly drought tolerant plants. But um, what I tell my clients, and this is really important, we're going to kind of lightly go through this chart is this. Um, even if you want what looks like an English garden, those flowers only have a certain season. So it's important if you want color to use color that's inherent in shrubs. Yes. Don't just yeah. rely on flower co color. And so there are certain shrubs that I've marked out as far as silver color, and then there's variegated and, and so forth. And, you know, you might be f familiar or not. But remember, when you mix some silver color plants with some plum color plants with variegated, in the winter, it looks alive. Right. And so basically what she's saying is flower color is very important. And a lot of these shrubs flower, but also leaf color. So I love that. I mean, what a wonderful architectural contrast if you've got green and then you've got gray and then you also have plum or deep maroon. Mm -hmm. um, you can get that interesting color without ever having a, a flower to look at, but yet your yard is very colorful and interesting. Right. It'll always look alive. So in the category of silver color, and, and we'll go through these and we'll also talk about their plus and minuses because there are some. Yes. So the first one I have down is Artemisia. Now, Artemisia comes in different sizes, but Artemisia, in if you trace it back to its root, its common name is wormwood. Guess why it's named wormwood? Because people would use it in tinctures to get rid of parasites in their body. It is also what's used for the drink absinthe. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's why okay. it's, it's borderline toxic. <laughs> silver gray. Beautiful, silver beautiful gray. silver gray. And the Powys Castle actually rambles quite a bit. And if you don't keep it in check, it'll split in the middle. But then there's a small one called Silver Mound. Silver Mound is beautiful. And again, um, sometimes you'll have to cut these back. But the Silver Mound I've used and I love them. Yeah, They're you don't really have to beautiful. cut it back. And then the next one? Serastium tomentosa. It's snow in summer. It's a ground cover. Low to the ground, little white flower, beautiful. One of the, it's not a it's not a bad thing, but one thing that you need to keep in mind, these are definitely drought tolerant plants. So if you water them too much, they're going to rot and they're going to mold. I think it's even a xeriscape plant, but Serastium being that um, ground cover that travels, it's also beautiful for rock gardens and, and above a little rock wall because it will flop over the wall. It's, oh, it's I really love that. Pretty. I love it. And it's, it's um, if you touch the leaves, they're kind of furry, fuzzy. Yeah. fuzzy. Yeah, they're yeah. wonderful. They're nice. Um, convolvulus, um, there's different types of convolvulus. Um, Bush Morning Glory, this one is, is also a drought-tolerant plant. I've had mixed, um, mixed reviews with that because I've used it a few times and I can't seem to keep it alive after two years, but it's beautiful. And if you're the type of gardener that wants what you want, Go ahead and put it in. I'm going to skip down to some of my favorites, lavender. I love lavender. There are so many different varieties, and every year they develop another. There's super blue. There's uh, the, the gray. There's, uh, I mean, you can probably find 50 different varieties of lavender. Right. But if you look at those beautiful calendars of Provence and you see the lavender, one thing you're going to notice, they're in these beautiful mounds. Lavender needs to be cut and pruned. Yes. If you let it go wild and crazy, again, it gets so heavy, it'll split in the middle. And it becomes very, very woody. Yes. yes. Don't forget to cut them. And you know what? Lavenders, there's so many uses for it, for putting it in dryer bags to, you know, sweetening um, your drawers. So cut it. It's okay. It's not, you're not going to kill the plant. Um, then Santalina. Santalina, that's another one. So Santalina, I love. And it too, when it gets crazy, you know, th these are plants that, um, you know, they'll, they'll keep 
growing and then they'll get woody in the middle. Yes. So I whack mine back periodically. Though I can tell you something about the Santalina is, it, again, gray foliage, but they also make a green one. And one of the things, mm-hmm. if you really want to do some fun things, you alternate green and gray, green and gray, and you get this really cool look. Yeah, and it makes great, you know, if you want to... Um, challenge yourself and create a knot garden santolene is a wonderful way to do it it does bloom and has little yellow buttons and um, the green variety is called viridis viridis means green so they're both available so those are just some of the silver plants there there are more but it's really important to pop those in you know to to bring up the other color now the non-deciduous shrubs that um, we're going to talk about are not the huge evergreen these are right. ones that you could pop in but they'll be there all through winter right so the first one is the gardener's delight agapanthus agapanthus right um a lot of people like these some people don't i'm not the biggest fan of them but they have come out with a variety or varieties of a deep dark purple blue right most of them are blue and they are true blue unfortunately you see a lot of them on the freeways and you see them in, in uh, places where you don't want to go so um but here's why because they're easy care yes and they do they're no care they're no care and they're and and they bloom and they bloom like um if you're going to hold a little firecracker sparkler in your hand yes that's what the blooms look like and they come in white and when they're done in unmasked you know they could be quite lovely so so for a person that normally doesn't like agapanthus i did plant some and i actually used them in my own garden but the dark dark did you do a storm cloud and black panther that's exactly the black panther mm-hmm. and the storm cloud because i will tell you you when these bloom the color is so amazing it's, i mean it's yeah. beautiful and they are cutting flowers as well so yes. you yeah. you could cut them the next one cholestamon you might know um the common name is bottle brush bottle brush now, don't don't go off there's a dwarf variety called Little John. And the Little Johns, they don't get huge. They get about three feet by three feet. The bees are not all over them. They're not dropping sticky stuff all over. So it's a wonderful, it must be a hybrid. It is. I normally would never use a bottle brush, but the Little John, uh, John in fact, I just put it on They're, the they're beautiful. They're uh-huh. beautiful because they stay small. The flowers are vibrant. They also attract hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I would give my stamp of approval to both of those. Yeah. Right, right. Um, Cystus is one of my favorite plants. Cystus is a rock rose, and again, it comes in mounding type, but they have a new one called um, Mickey. And the Cystus Mickey is um, variegated and stays in a mound, and it also blooms white. So that's a wonderful that's a wonderful mounding plant. Um, but the bigger ones, you should know, they look, their flowers almost look like um, poppy. Yes, know, yes. Very pavers. There's one with a white, white petal with these little uh, orchid spot rock rows. Right. Oh my God, is that amazing? Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, and let's see, and then the grant, you know, so the Scanbergii, that'll get, that'll spread like six feet wide and with pink blooms. That's, it's a wonderful drought tolerant shrub and also um, evergreen. Okay, so we, we just talked about cystus. Let's just call out some of the plants. Let's just go down the list and call them out. Okay, okay some of my fa- I, I will pick out favorites. Yeah. Like maybe five of them. Okay. I have to say daylilies are fun. Yeah, we love daylilies. They, they, especially the ones, some of the new hybrids bloom constantly. Stella, the, the old favorite, Stella d'Oro is a yellow daylily and you can't beat that. No, and it stays small. Um, another plant that you could plant and also use in your cooking is rosemary. Rosemary, especially the trailing coming over rocks, mm-hmm. over walls. 
beautiful. It's beautiful. And we have a plant, um, it's a California native called Zauchinaria, and this plant has silvery foliage in it. It too flows over, but the hummingbirds adore the oh, I know. orange flowers. They're, they're wonderful. Skip down to, let's go, let's real quickly talk about some of the perennial color. color. Oh my God, color, color, color. Okay. Achilla, yarrow. Yarrow. Yarrow's great. I mean, they not only comes in yellow, it's now coming in orange and red. And pink and, and pink, white. Yeah. And it's deer resistant as well. And it's also really good if you have, if you cut yourself, it's an herb. Okay, go, go on. Ground cover roses. I mean, I, the minute you say roses, people cringe. Oh my God, there's so much work. Let me tell you, the new ground cover roses, they're no work. You once a year cut them back to six inches. They can take every bit of abuse you can give them the only thing they need hot full sun the hotter it is the better they do but i mean real quickly i just have to say um when i was redoing the yard i had some ground cover roses i dug them up because i had just put them in and i put them in a wheelbarrow and i forgot about them and once in a while i'd give them a little water they sat in a wheelbarrow for two and a half months and then i thought okay i'll just put them in the ground i planted them around every single one of them came back and came back like gangbusters okay and that's not going to happen if you live in the midwest or back east just so you know because yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> put them in a wheelbarrow they're gonna they'll, die they'll die they're gonna die but they come in a plethora from hot pink to light pink to yeah. yellow to coral they're wonderful they're wonderful my two favorite is amber and apple blossom i love amber Amber is my favorite. I know, favorite it's my favorite. Oh, my gosh. We okay. have so much in common. Okay. Pen, yes. Penstemon. <laughs> Penstemon. Oh, yeah. Well, Penstemon, they, again, a variety of colors. They're, they're bell-like flowers that, that grow on stalks. We have to we have to get quick here. Okay. Yeah. Red Hot Pokers, Nymphophia. I love those. I love oh, my those. God. Those and are the hummingbirds love the hummingbirds. those as well. And it's a very California-looking plant. Um, I'm not sure how it does back east, but it's it's fabulous. And Asters do well back east. Asters and they do well here too, and yeah. as as and Shasta daisies do Shasta well. Black eyed yes. Susans, that, those are across the board. These are perennials that disappear in the winter, but they do come back. And salvia, salvia is so beautiful. Salvia is beautiful. Echinacea, purple coneflower, the coreopsis. These are these are your blooming flowers that they hide and they go deep into into the soil in the winter, and that's why you're using other shrubs to fill in color. But when they come back. They're all wow. There. Go down to ground covers. Okay, ground covers. Okay, so the really tough ones um, would be Arctostaphylus, which is a ground cover manzanita. Manzanita, yeah. And Delisburma. Okay, so I think uh, ice plants got a bad rap. At least it did when I lived in Southern California because everyone had ice plant. But ice plant, Delisburma, is, is so drought tolerant, it's actually considered zero scape. And it does bloom and it does spread. And I want to say about Arctostaphylos, the dwarf manzanita, uh, it's also deer proof. And mm-hmm. it is it, it holds a bank if you've got um, really loose soil. Right. It's a really good solution. Myoporum's another really good one. Yeah. Now, Myoporum's going to grow a lot quicker than Arctostaphylos. Yes. Arctostaphylos does take quite a while to um, fill in. But also there's Gazania. And gazania is a trailing variety. It, it gets thick and it blooms where the Arctostaphylus really doesn't. And um, then there's verbena. We love verbena. We love verbena. We love verbena. We love lantana as well. Yes. And that's but more the, mounding. Yes, that's more mounding. And I will say, 
I used to, that if when someone mentioned the word juniper, I would cringe. But there's one variety, the juniperus conferta or the juniperus procumbens. But the conferta is very feathery. They call it a shore juniper. It's low to the ground. It's feathery. It almost looks like a fern. I've actually used it in my own place. I love it because it's so hardy. Yes, junipers, again, that's, a, that's another thing that got a bad rap, probably because they were so um, widely planted in the 50s and 60s. And then you advance 30 years later, and they've been um, shorn into little humps that look like they came in the night, you know, from outer space. Right, right. But I, I gained a great appreciation <clears throat> when I went to England and saw the conifer beds. The conifer beds, I mean. Are amazing. Stunning. Yeah. And, and again, a lot of the old-time plants, um, they were overused, and then what happened was they, they fell out of favor. But a lot of the nurseries are now hybridizing them and coming up with the dwarf varieties or ones that are just... There's nothing you can say about a plant that is so hardy that can take the sun and the shade and drought and, and water. And these are the things that... The, these should be your mainstay of your garden so that you're not killing yourself right. trying to keep it alive. And they're a great backdrop. And they're also, if you don't want anyone parking right next to something, you plant one of those. Exactly. <laughs> they weep over. All right. And succulents, I don't think we should really talk about because it's such, you know, they're so zoned to hotter, warmer right. areas. Not, I mean, if you have a lot of water through the Midwest, it, it, it's just not going to make it. You could do it in pots. Pots. I love succulents in any kind of pot. Accent things. They're, window boxes, succulents are mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not getting full beating rain yeah. <clears throat> throughout the season, but they, they work great and they're so easy to propagate. Really easy. You just cut a piece off, let it dry, and then stick it in soil, and it's off and running again. So this list is actually going to be on our website. It is. We're going to put it there. Right now it's on my website, but um, it will be on our Digging Deep website, which, again, if you have any questions or comments, please go to diggingdeep.blueberry.net, blueberry without the E's, and leave a comment or a question or if there's a topic that you'd like us to to cover. That's right. Since we love to talk, we might want to talk about your topic and answer a lot of your questions. I know. It's great we're not in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm Roberta Walker. I'm Michael Glassman. And this is Digging Deep. Thank you for joining us. We've enjoyed it.